So we've been in a conversation the last couple of weeks looking at the uh, book of Psalms, this songbook in the middle of our Bibles. And it doesn't look like a songbook if you if you uh, plop open your Bible um, to the Psalms. It doesn't look like songs because there's no notes. And what we've been learning is that is that the notes um, are are not there because they wouldn't do us any good. We don't we don't like that kind of music. It's three thousand year old music. We wouldn't know how to listen to it well. We don't know how to play the instruments. We don't even know what all the instruments were. So we've lost the music, but we have the poems. We still have the poem that was originally set to music. And because we don't have the music, every generation, every culture is able to come up with music that actually does speak to them. And the reason for that is that God wanted us to have these words. And he knows that nothing sticks in our head like a song. Sometimes that can be really irritating when a song gets stuck in our head and we don't like the song. But God knows that songs get stuck in our head. So he gives us the Psalms as a way of getting words into our minds so that we can, we can have the right words. When, when we're in trouble or when we're, we're glad, we'll have the right words to say. And we've been looking at the Psalms now for a couple of weeks and the first kind of song, what we saw is that like, like every kind of song, there's categories of songs. There's, there's love songs and there's breakup songs. And the Psalms are no different. There's categories of Psalms. One of the categories is the Psalm of Praise. And what we saw when we looked at a praise Psalm is that, is that praising God is, is a way that we actually increase our capacity to experience joy. So we praise because because we want to have a greater capacity to experience joy. But sometimes our circumstances are so overwhelming, we can't praise God. There's nothing we can do to praise God because we're just overwhelmed by our circumstances. And when that happens, what we can do is we can lament. And what we learned last week is that to lament is to give our problem to God. And today what we're going to be looking at is is the Psalms of trusting God. Because trusting God is when you, you've lamented, you've given your problem to God, and trusting God is when you don't take it back. You know, it's, it's Father's Day, and I was thinking about my dad, I was thinking about something he used to do when I was, when I was six, he used to take, um, me to the, the fairgrounds. It was a great big, gigantic parking lot, uh, not well used on a morning, uh, weekend morning, and he would put me in his lap, and let me drive his car around the fairgrounds parking lot. Nowadays, parking lots, they've got trees and they've got curbs. And, you know, it's too hard to do that. You don't have the big open space. But he had this big space. And so he let us drive his car. Um, and I can remember doing that as one of my earliest memories is driving his big old white Ford around the parking lot. And and I think about that because 10 years later, 10 or 10 or 11 years later, when he was teaching me to drive a car officially, it was not a pleasant experience. Um <laughs> He was, he was in the passenger seat, but he hated it. He hated being in the passenger seat, and, and I hated having him there. You know, it would have been simpler if we just swapped. But he, he knew he wanted to teach his children to, to uh, drive a car, but boy, he hated having us behind the wheel. And so he'd be sitting there, you know, kind of freaking out over every little thing, you know, just causing accidents and stuff like that. So, so um, you know, I... I Keep that in mind that, that there is, uh, you know, sometimes you have to do the things that, that you hate doing, uh, because they're the right thing to do. But, but you could tell he was not happy in that seat because he didn't, he didn't really trust us with the car. I mean, we didn't know how to drive. That was why he was teaching us. But, but, um, you know, when, when you're, when you're a backseat driver, it's easy to tell. You know, you've got that big, big reminder right in front of you. The steering wheel is either in front of you or it's not. 
And if it's not, you know you're the backseat driver, or maybe you're the passenger seat driver. Uh, but so much of our life, we don't have that big reminder there to, to know when we're trying to grab the wheel back, you know, because it's not backseat driving per se. It's, it's more like, you know, scratching an itch, you know, you got a bug bite and, and you scratch it and you know you shouldn't, but just for a moment, it feels better. And then for the next 10 minutes, it actually bugs you worse. But, but, you know, it was that moment you felt good and you knew it, you knew it was the wrong thing to do, but you did it anyway. I think a lot of the time, the things that, that bug us, the things, you know, bug us, or worry us are like that. There's no reminder that you're you're kind of grabbing something back. I actually looked up the word worry, and the word worry means to gnaw. When a dog chews on a bone, uh, he is worrying the bone. And I think you know that's a great image. You know, a lot of times we worry about things, and it's about as productive as a dog chewing a bone. You know, the dog is hoping he can eventually crack it and get it at the marrow or whatever, but most of the time he's just chewing on a bone and not getting a lot out of it. And I think that's a good image for us as we think about the way we worry about things. You know, I, I don't know how much, if you're a worrier or you just kind of once in a while, you know, I'm an occasional worrier versus I'm a perpetual worrier. I, I, I don't know how, how worry interacts with your life. But one thing in, that we all have in common is we never worry about what's happening right now. You can't worry about what's happening right now. No matter how bad your circumstances are right now, what you're worried about is the next 30 seconds or the next uh, hour or the next day. You know, maybe maybe you're worried about what's going to happen on Monday when you get to work. But, uh, you know, it's, it's right on top of you, but it's not happening at this moment. You can't really worry at the instant that something's happening. You can only worry about the future. And so pretty much any way the future intersects with your life is a place you can worry. Maybe you, you are worried about work. Maybe you're worried right now and, and you're kind of tuning me out because you're thinking about what's going to happen on Monday when you get to work. And you're thinking it's not going to go well because they've told us that there's going to be headcount reductions or they've told us, you know, that, that, you know, that assignment was due, um, <laughs> that something had to get done this quarter or, or whatever. And we're thinking about work and it, it's, it's bugging us. And so we're worrying about it. Maybe, maybe what we're worried about, I, I, I know someone who's worried about their health insurance. They, their, their job is fine, but they're worried about their health insurance because the price is going to go up. And what that really is, is they're worried about their health. What happens if I get sick? You know, people worry about dying. And, you know, I, you know, you didn't have to come to church to hear this, but I'll, I'll tell you, you're going to. I mean, we all are someday. And, and usually what people are worried about is not dying itself because we know that. They're worried about the things they need to get done between now and when they die. And so, you know, if your list is five, five years worth of things you want to accomplish, you're worried, am I going to die before I get to the end of that list? Maybe your list is 50 years worth of things you want to accomplish, and you're still worried, am I going to get to the end of my list before, before I die? Maybe it's the way you die. You know, people worry about, am I going to die um, with a lot of pain? Am I going to die... Am I going to struggle? Um, am I going to be sick for a long time? People have worries about their health. People worry about uh, not dying. They worry about they worry about am I going to live so long that that life itself becomes a problem? They say, you know, is my aging not going to be pretty? Am I going to have a debilitating disease? Am I going to be lonely? Am I going to lose my independence? Am I going to become dependent on other people? 
And then depending on the other people in your life, maybe you're worried about the relationships. It's like because they're not great people. Or maybe my relationship, they're fine people, but our relationship has been strained. And we worry about that. And that you don't have to be old to worry about that. You can worry about your marriage. You can worry about your kids. You can worry about your parents. There's all kinds of things that we can worry about. Where it, we might have lamented at some point. We might have said, God, I can't figure out what to do about this problem. So I'm going to give it to you. But what we do is we keep taking it back and worrying about it. And the good news is we're not the first people to do that. There's nothing unique about us. It's something that people have always done. And the psalmist deals with that in the lesson we're going to look at today. So I'd like to encourage you to to get out the scriptures if you've got them handy. We're going to look at Psalm 27. Because is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist begins by kind of saying, let me, let me, before I start listing all my woes, and we've seen in some of the psalms they do list a long, a long, uh, a catalog of all their different woes. But the psalmist says, before I do that, let me stop and take stock. Let me kind of see, uh, where am I located? Let me orient myself. And he says, let's start with the Lord. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. C.S. Lewis says something about uh, when when he became he was an atheist uh, who who became a Christian and he said that he believes in God for the same reason he believes in the sun, not simply because he can see it when he looks up, but because by it he can see everything else. And the psalmist is saying, the Lord gives me the light to make sense of everything else in my life because everything else, if I'm kind of stumbling along in the dark and I just have a lot of worries and cares that that are weighing on me, I don't know what to do with them. But the Lord is the light that helps me make sense of everything else that's going on in my life. So he says, the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. So of whom shall I be afraid? Because I don't have any problems? Is it because my life is pain-free and I don't, I don't have any troubles? No, it's the very opposite. He says, when evildoers assail me, he's actually, uh, that, that's when, not if. He's talking about something um, in different translations. They get at this. Um, he's speaking in the future tense. He's saying, that thing that's going to happen tomorrow when I get to work, that thing that's going to happen next month when I don't have the report done on time, that thing that's going to happen when I go get my annual physical, he's saying, that thing that is destined to happen, it's going to happen. When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, he clearly doesn't like them, he's calling them cannibals. When evildoers assail me, my adversaries and my foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet, yet, yet God has not solved my problem. So what should I do? Well, I've got an idea. What I'm going to do, I gave it to God in Psalm 26. But you know what? God hasn't made any progress. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it back from him. And I'm going to get out my pocket knife and I'm going to whittle away at it a little bit. See if I can shave it off a little bit. Then I'll give it back to God. And then I'll wait 10, 15 minutes and see if God has solved that problem for me now. And if not, I will take it back from him and I'll whittle on it some more. And then I will give it back to God. And we're going to just lather, rinse, repeat over and over again, until finally I have whittled that problem down to something small enough for God to deal with. And that's what he says. Except, no, that's not, a, that's not what he says. He says, 
Yet I will be confident. I will resist the urge to grab it back and chip away at it. Instead, I will be confident. I will be confident that God has this thing handled. So what will I do? He says, one thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. Now, inquire in the temple may mean asking God, uh, hello? Any help here? You know? Maybe he's saying he can, he can inquire of God, you know, what's the time frame here, God? Can, can you kind of get on top of this? But see what else he says. He says, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Why does he want to go to the temple? Why does he want to go there? Because he knows that he's part of a community of faith. This is why we can go to church. Because when God seems absent, when God seems slow to act in our own life, we can go to church and we can say, well, God is still up there. Because I was talking to this person in church and they were telling about the way that something happened in their life. God is still active. And that makes it easy to be patient. It's not easy, but it's easier. We can say, I went to church and I heard about the good God. I beheld his pleasantness. I beheld his favor. I beheld the beauty of the Lord. So he says, that's what I want, to do that. He says, for he, God, will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. We've talked before. This is Hebrew poetry. You just repeat an idea and you change a little bit of a a twist to to come out with new color and new depth. He says, God's going to hide me. God's going to either hide me under something or hide me on top of something. I'm going to be unavailable to my problems when they're trying to hurt me. He says, God will take care of me. And then he says, he concludes this section of the psalm. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. This is, this is uh, such a good picture. Picture church this way. Okay, I don't know how you feel coming to church every, every Sunday. Um, uh, I'm sure it's you're looking forward to hearing the sermon. But apart from that, I don't know how church, you know, getting ready, getting the kids, you know, everything that has to be done. I don't know how going to church works for you, but the psalmist has such a beautiful picture. Have you ever watched a football game and the, the, the runner gets ahead of his pursuers and he can kind of, you know, see that no one's close enough. And so he's still got 20 yards to the goal line, but he starts that, that kind of pushing walk they do. He's still running, but he's like, Running in a way I know you can't catch me, and I'm I'm just exulting. I am I am celebrating already. It hasn't happened yet. The goal yard, the goal line is still 20 yards out there, but I can tell I'm going to make it. He says I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. That's that's the picture. He says he says no, God has not done it yet, but you can start prancing your way to victory. When you get to the goal line, then you have your little dance and. Do all this stuff, but you can already start prancing. You know, this is the center of our religion. You know, if you ask a lot of people, what's, what's Christianity all about? You know, why, why would you go to church? Why would you believe in God? A lot of people are going to say, because I want to go to heaven when I die. Or some variation on that. But that, 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 that may be true, but that's not the center of the faith. The center of our faith is right here. It is trusting God. And the reason is God doesn't want you to worry. 
We see that over and over again throughout the Gospels. Jesus is talking repeatedly about how God doesn't want you to worry. He says, there's nothing in the entire creation that you need to fear. He says, fear God and God will take care of you. That, that God is the only thing that is not created. God exists from all eternity. Everything else is created. Every empire, every disease, every war, every problem is part of the created order, and we don't have to fear anything, neither height nor depth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is the center of our faith. Uh, it, you know, if you compare Christianity to some, some world religions, it is really different. It is not a religion per se. We have so little of the elements of a religion. We don't have a big sacrificial system. There's not a lot of rituals. If you come to church, you may think there's rituals because we do it all the time. But that's more of a habit. It's not something that God demands. There's so few things in our faith that are rituals that are required by God. The 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 essence of our faith is faith. It is belief. And it's not belief about God. It is confidence in God. It's confidence that God loves us and that God is who he has said he is. That he will do everything that he said he will do. The essence of our faith is faith, is trusting God, confidence in God. To believe that God is on your side, to believe that God has your back. So, that's what our religion is about. And the application is to go out and live that way. To, you know, if you are a worrier, if there's something you're worried about right now, maybe what you need to do is write that down, you know, the, the classic, you know, two columns, right? Here's the things I'm worried about. And here's the resources I've got to bring to bear. And write down God on that resources side. And say to yourself, which one's bigger? Who's going to win? Maybe that's what you need to do. And maybe that list is really long. Maybe it's really short. But to say like the psalmist, whom shall I fear? A couple of years ago, I went to a conference with some, uh, it was a pastor's conference. And one of the speakers, this was uh, 2008, 2009, a lot of churches we're dealing with, uh, uh, you know, it's a financial crisis. A lot of people um, dealing, a lot of churches dealing with re- budgets that were suddenly in the middle of the year a lot smaller than they'd hoped to do and uh, hope to be. And this this speaker was saying the essence of leadership in the church is to look at a problem like that and to say, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what's what's going to happen. But I know that God is still in heaven. And we get to watch what God does. And that's what we get to do as a community of faith. Sometimes the things that we've seen in our own lives, we can bring those back to the, 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 the assembly, the, the, the worshiping assembly. And maybe that's what the psalmist is talking about. I can behold God's beauty in, in the gathered worship of my people. But we get to do that as a church. We get to do that within the church to say, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I have no idea how it's going to turn out, but we get to watch God, and God is going to bring beauty out of ashes. So that's the application for us as a congregation to to trust God, and it's the application for us as individuals to write down that list, to say, these are the things that worry me, and God is bigger than every one of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God who hears our concerns who takes our lamentation, 
But Lord, we are weak and worried, and sometimes we want to grab them back. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have the faith that we would leave them in your hands, that we would stride toward the goal line, watching, knowing that no one can touch us because you are on our side, to make sacrifices with shouts of joy, even before the victory is won. Lord, we pray that you would give us that kind of faith that we can trust in you and not in our own ability to solve these problems. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. The psalmist, who may or may not have been the same psalmist, um, in a different